I'm J-Mac. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Base Code Podcast. Nanda's gonna nand. I was gonna ask you, that's funny you say that, because I, I saw you tweet that the other day, and I was like, what the hell is a nanda? What does nanda mean? I only learned it a few weeks back, and then it's kind of like, I don't, I forget what they call that in psychology or perception, where once you're aware of something, like you see it everywhere. So like you buy a car, yeah, it's a new car, and you never really see that car. But then once you buy it, and you're driving that car, you see that car everywhere else. You see like everyone else who has that car. Yeah. Or you learn a word, and then you hear everyone you hear else everywhere. say yeah. it. That's kind of like what happened here. So um, what is it? <laughs> so of course, in the Laravel community, you know... Zonda, yeah. Cool, great, awesome, fire, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, Nanda is the opposite of, of Zonda. Zonda. Like, <laughs> not cool, you know, just like, like, uh, so Nanda's gonna nine to me is kind of like haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate, yeah. So, the other day, with the influx of new users in Shift, you always get more volume and support, like I talked about last time. Yeah. But then, of course, from that volume, that also ups the percentage of the Nandas. Yep. And I guess I'm just, at the end of the day, not a person that believes the customer is always right. Agreed. I think that the customer needs help. They have a problem, and they're coming to you to solve it. And I think that you should be helpful, mm-hmm. and I think that you should try to help them solve that. Yep. But just because they give you, in my scenario, $9 does not mean that whatever they say, however they say it, I'm just supposed to smile and take it. Agreed. 100% agree. You want good clients. You want it to be a mutually beneficial thing, right? Yeah. So I think the ones that are really sticky to me, and you know, if I can tell that we're so far apart, like, again, I'll, I'm, I'll just, I'll gladly issue the refund. I won't even mention eating the Stripe fees. Like, you know, fine, whatever. I'll just take care of it. Mm-hmm. But when someone has like gotten the value of shift and they're kind of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, like they've run multiple shifts and then like at the very end, they're like, oh, well, this very first one like formatted my code. So like I want all my money back now. (laughs) That's when it's kind of like, wait a second. Couldn't you have reached out to me earlier on the very first one when you noticed like clearly you've used it to get the value but because of this like one very micro thing yeah you're kind of like leveraging the fact that you're a customer and you're right and again just like kind of pushing your agenda and i just i don't know i have a hard time with that yeah those aren't the aspects of of support that i like and so i you know brush it off with with some you know inside Laravel terminology of, of Nanda's gonna nand. Nanda's gonna nand, yep. So I know what Zonda means, but like what's the history of Zonda? You know, I'm a little fuzzy on that too. Um, I think it goes back to a conference that Taylor was at. You know how he always likes to rent like... Fancy cars. A, a high-end sports car at yeah. some of the conferences. And somewhere out of that, the terminology came. So is Zonda a type of car? So yes, a a Zonda is an Italian sports car. Now, again, I don't know if that's the origin. That's just my, you know, take on the history of it. It might have just been something, you know, Hemphill and Taylor or Adam and Taylor or somebody um, said as a joke, you know, maybe making a play on words. I don't know. But that was my assumption is it it came out of the high-end sports cars that, you know, Taylor normally has some memes about. Yeah. 
And is that where like the ZTTP came from as well? Is that like Zonda? I think, yeah, again, after that, the Z got applied <laughs> to everything. To, so if you put a Z on it, you know, it was cool, cool right? Yeah. Like, you know, very, very Snoop Dogg-esque, you know, the hizzy. Yeah, for shizzle. <laughs> for shizzle, exactly. So it's kind of like that. So now, you know, I guess the flip side of it uh, that I think Caleb or, or Taylor said it in, in one of the chats, um, Nanda, and I just I just thought that was just perfect. It was just that day. It was perfect. Nanda, I'm just like, it, yes, yes. <laughs> just nice. a Nanda. Cool. Well, that's probably like the longest intro we've ever done. Um, no, no regrets, though. <laughs> no regrets. Hashtag no regrets. Keeping it with Nanda, though, mm-hmm. let's talk about some of the cons or downsides or trade-offs that we're making with the testing layer. Oh, there's zero. None. <laughs> None. <laughs> No trade-offs. It's 100% upside. No, there are some things. So I think you've mentioned one a couple times, but we didn't we didn't totally address it. So, you know, we are writing all of these fixtures, mm-hmm. right? And we, we've kind of dismissed that by the fact, oh, we were already writing them anyway. But we do have to set up more of the project. I mean, this does mean from an integration perspective, if you're going to write an integration test or an end-to-end test, you have to build the whole world for that so so maybe we should start there like how does that feel is that a trade-off like what does that really mean for us so you're talking about like how i guess previously we could just kind of mock to say that you know this file will exist somewhere whereas now we have to actually create like at least some sort of blank fixture for that file so that when shift searches for it it finds it like it yeah i mean the the app the structure all that stuff has to be there so even if there's like dependent files that we don't necessarily parse like composer json's one like yeah. every shift looks at composer json so that means that every time we use this new testing layer we also have to write a composer json file for it right yes for sure i guess there are some tasks that don't maybe touch it but most probably do yeah especially anything that's looking for like contents in php files because it's normally looking in composer.json for the autoload um directories so that it actually knows where to look for your code and kind of to ignore things that aren't you know part of your app i do think that that is something that is a little extra but a couple a couple things we probably built to get around that so one of them we mentioned is that instead of always having to make a file we made it smart enough that if the string being passed in is not like a fixture path like our fixture path then we would assume that it is a string that can be written to disk. Yeah, like it's file contents rather than a file path. Yeah, so that makes it kind of snappy because then we don't actually have to put a file on disk when we're faking this project like with you know a key-valued array. But the point is, is that value doesn't always have to be a file on disk. It can just be a string, and then our little fake project method will take care of that and put it on the disk for us at like you know test time. Yeah, I think that's pretty important because... Like, otherwise, we'd have all these fixtures floating around on disk that are only really, you know, very, very small fixtures. And one of the disadvantages of fixtures is if we delete the test for some reason, there's nothing that will, like, tell us that the fixture is unused, right? So there's kind of little be like this orphaned fixture on disk somewhere that no test is referencing. That's actually kind of another thing, too, that we use to get around it. We, we do share some of the fixtures a lot. Like Yeah, there's a lot of common things. The route service provider probably gets referenced a lot of different times because we need to see, like, for example, when we're 
turning their routes into class-based routes, what is their default namespace yeah. that's set as the property in the route service provider? That's probably that same fixture for that route service provider is probably used in multiple test cases. So to your point, yes, that would be annoying to clean up, but also as a way to kind of help kind of alleviate writing a fixture every time. Like it's not always a one-to-one relationship. Every time we write a test, we don't have to write the 10 fixtures that we might need in that test. There are shared fixtures. There is this like ability to pass the string. So yeah, it is a trade-off, but I think it's kind of an easy one to get around. Yeah, agreed. And again, we were already writing a lot of these fixtures anyways. We already had them for when we were doing mocking where we would say, oh, get this file. Okay, give it this this fixture. Oh, put this file. Okay, it should have used this fixture. It should have looked like this fixture file. So we were really already doing those yeah. mocking anyway. So it wasn't much more to write. And the trade-off of being able to just have that key value pair of like, okay, app HTTP kernel really looks like test fixtures Laravel 9 kernel without middleware kind of thing. I think like the naming convention's important there, like as it is with a lot of things of making sure those fixtures describe, not even necessarily describe the tests that they're doing, but describe what the contents is, which does make it more reusable. So like you were saying, like it's, you know, kernel without middleware. That fixture could be usable in a a bunch of different scenarios. Yeah. Something else we added, especially I think after we figured out one of those bugs where it wasn't scanning all the right folders, was that I think we default some aspects of Laravel. So... Another parameter that we added was you tell it what shift it is. So in this case, you say like fake project, Laravel 9 shift, here's the structure of that project. Yep. So when it sees that that shift that you're going to do is a Laravel shift, we actually also set it up to automatically give you like a default artisan file and a default composer JSON file. So you don't end up having to map in your fake project. So it saves us on writing those fixtures as well. So you really only would map Composer JSON if you needed something special in that ah, file for that test case. I didn't know that. That's cool. I think I went back and cleaned it up after the fact. I got tired of always putting like Artisan and Composer JSON to, to make it check that it was a Laravel project. Yeah, yeah. That's way cool. Like it is important that it can be different because, you know, we've got um, Tailwind shifts that can work without being a Laravel project at all. So we can't assume that every single project is going to be a Laravel project. It allows us to mess with the versions too when we're doing some comparisons. So like if we gave it a Laravel 8 shift, it would know to look at, you know, 8.0 and below, whereas we give it 9 and it looks at 9 and below. So it it gives us some fluctuation in there as well. So, but that was kind of like the string thing, just another little helper to alleviate the fact that we're Every test case does not have its own set of kind of this one-to-one fixture, you know, setup. That would be a crazy amount of fixtures to be writing. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. But again, they're pretty easy to copy from Laravel. Laravel, the default project, we tweak them the way we want. Maybe they're even submitted by some user feedback of like, oh, hey, what did your routes file look before shift? We drop it into the fixtures. We can see what it looks like. If we just drop it in, run the test, we see it fail. I actually had a a bug the other day that I caused and I wonder whether or not we could improve this stuff. So real quick, I needed to know if someone was using the mail facade Mm -hmm. and mail facade has a ton of different methods on it. So silly me was like, oh, I'll just search for mail colon colon. And that means they're using it. 
And I'd completely forgotten that in config app where you register all your facades is the string mail mm-hmm. colon colon class. And so that was causing it to go to, to trigger the thing that assumes you're using the mail facade then. Yeah. Not a big deal in terms of like the impact. It just left like some extra comments in the shift. Um, but I do wonder like whether if it gave like the default config, I suppose, like the default config directory, I would have discovered that mm-hmm. bug earlier. Gotcha. So you did see it when you ran your test with our new suite, but we wouldn't have seen it before. Is what no, you're no, saying? no. It, or, or it actually still yeah. messed up in the new suite too. Yeah, because I don't think the new the new suite gives you like the config directory, right? Does it give you like the Lar- the default Laravel 9 config or Laravel 8 config directory? Yeah, so that is that is a drawback of this. Again, if you, if you don't mock it in that fake structure, it's not going to see it. But in a real world project, you're going to have the config folder with that class in there. Yeah. And it's not something that like the previous way we did would have been any better on that. Like yeah. it would have been worse, really. Um, That's a good catch. But yeah, just that whole string. So now I've got to be really careful when I'm using like, you know, a class name with colon, colon, and I'm looking for something calling a method that there is, you know. Yeah. And I think to me, those are acceptable bugs to get some feedback on. Like, it's not like we converted code or anything. It's just they would have gotten a false positive in the list you know, the list of comments of files to review. Yeah. And like, even then it was just like a helpful comment that was like letting you know that, you know, some methods changed. Yeah. And so I had run the shift on, on a project. I'd run it on like on one of my personal projects and I saw the comments there and I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was using the mail facade for anything. Like I didn't think I was using it. Yeah. And then I searched my code base. And I'm not using it. What's gone wrong? And no one else would know, even notice that a bug. And knowing kind of behind the curtain, exactly. like you knew, oh, I was searching for mail colon colon. Yeah. This yeah. is why dog fooding is so important. Absolutely. I always run it on all of our all of our stuff yeah. before pushing it out there. But yeah, you know, I think that's one of those things that's just the classic issue. Even in testing, doesn't matter how you test. Like, where do you stop testing? Which which negative paths do you yeah. not write? You know, how many? You know, like how much variance, you know, this is a whole category of testing that I typically don't subscribe to because again, I mean, I manually test no matter what anyway, like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't just push out the Laravel 9 shift market at $19 and say, here you go world. We launch it, we use it on our own projects. Then it goes into beta at a discounted price. And I don't even really like advertise or market that at first. Yeah. Kind of just put it in Slack in the shifty coder Slack and, and let some of these, you know, devs use it. Yeah. It definitely has a rollout path. So. Yeah. I, I did find it really interesting though, like running it on my own project for real, like after, you know, after we launched it and that I was running it as a customer rather than, you know, trying to like test it or anything. Sure. And so the set of eyes I used when I was going through the shift was really like, yeah, a, like I, I was caring more about my project than how the shift went. And so I was reading the comments and I was making sure that I was getting everything because I was like, I hope the shift goes well. I want this to work. That's why after launch, there's like 40 commits that are like, tweak comments, yeah. tweak comments, <laughs> tweak tweak this, tweak that. And I think that is, as another tangent, that is one of the areas that I know sometimes I push for you when you've been working on some of these recent shifts. You know, you'll kind of give back this multi-paragraph comment yeah. <laughs> and it's it's super detailed and it's everything you would need to know about that for sure which is great but i know i'm always pushing you like tighten it's this like, up yeah. tighten this up what needs to be said because like again as that user when you come across that wall yeah. comment like that that block that's 
takes up half your screen, it just feels so heavy and maybe it doesn't need to be, right? Maybe maybe that comment doesn't even apply to you, right? Yeah, and we can like just link to the docs and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. Instead of trying to say everything the docs would say, like the docs still have their place. They should they should have the full detail, right? Yeah. This is kind of just letting you know the highlight and if you care about learning more, then click this link. Yeah. And I've I'm comfortable with that. Like I I do like some of them where we give them a code snippet, especially if we're if we're telling them they need to make a certain change, then yeah, I like to have it there. But if it's kind of generic, like I don't want like a four paragraph comment there. Yeah. There's definite trade offs there. But yeah, I mean as far as the testing layer, um, the one the one more trade-off I could think of was the fact that now the test suite has to be run via Docker just because we're actually running Shift. So we need that kind of, I guess, full environment where we can trust. Yeah. We're not going to have any like subsystem dependency differences. You know, it's going to have um, Perl, for example, is call out too because it does some faster I.O., um, the differences in grep that we kind of mentioned along the way, like we don't have to worry about that because we're just we're going to run Alpine. Like it just allows us to to trust the environment and have the actual like production environment, just like you would want to test. You know, if you're using MySQL or Postgres or whatever, like you would want an environment where you ran your test against a MySQL database, right? Ideally, exactly. Yeah, there's always differences. So to avoid any of those and make sure we're getting like a true to life thing, that was the trade-off. So now when, we, you know, even though we develop maybe without Docker, when we run the tests, you pretty much need to use our little Docker image to, to run them. Because yeah. I know you can probably get away with it sometimes on Linux, but every now and then it, I know your file mapping and stuff kind of messes up. Yeah, most of the time I can get away with it because obviously like shifts run on a Linux machine and I'm using a Linux workstation. So grep is the same it's like gnu grep rather than bsd grep all that sort of stuff yeah um, i'm on a mac so i get bsd, you get BSD grep, grep, so I, yeah. <laughs> I have to it's wild how different they are i know i in the very beginning i learned that pretty quick yeah it's frustrating yeah it is kind of frustrating i mean there's there's stuff where it's the same letter but it's capital versus not capital and it's flipped on the different machines it's like really and there's features have to do there's that? features missing like even in yeah. linux grep like there's no uh, positive look ahead assertions or negative look ahead assertions, I think. Yeah. Anyway, I just that is that is probably a true trade off. Whereas before, I could have just done you know vendor bin PHP unit boom done. Yeah, but that's because you were like mocking all of the calls, right? So that was where we sure. had that opportunity to make mistakes. So. Yeah. So I think I think that again that trade off is definitely worth it. But it should be noted that because of you know this kind of we're actually letting shift run more. It's it's really more of an integration style, you know, end-to-end test. We're still taking a, a small portion, a task is what we call it, you know, a small piece of the automation and running just that. We're not running the entire shift necessarily. Yeah. But we could even have a scenario where, honestly, you could run the entire shift, like, someday. Like, it, it'd be a little bit different of a setup, but, yeah. I mean, that could be a, a full full-on tests that we could write with this layer someday that would be pretty cool yeah like here's the here's a here's a stock laravel 8.0 project here it is in this folder yeah and here's the laravel 9 stock project and you know did it get all the way there yeah that that would be cool that would be really cool if you could make it yeah so, so that a stock laravel 8 was indistinguishable from a stock laravel 9 after a shift after running the 9.x shift and that's always our goal but now with this testing layer we could 
we could probably write that test pretty easily. Yeah, but it should be noted that like that test alone wouldn't guarantee the whole shift is working because there's so many features of Laravel that obviously oh yeah you could yeah aren't used yeah, in we're the only looking at thing. those core files yeah so there's a Laravel shift eight repo out there that I'll run the Laravel nine shift on and kind of Comparison. am I seeing the same changes that you would for example see when you went and did the version comparison tool in the Laravel Laravel project yeah you know it's like linked in the docs like I, I kind of scroll down and, and see am I looking basically the same that's one of the things I really again a manual test yeah because I, I ran like having run the shift the other day it still blows my mind all the stuff that shift does like it changes the comments in the config file with whatever wording they've adjusted and um, it added like all the generic syntax where you've got like, you know, array and it's an yeah. array with string keys and, you know, number values or whatever it docs, is. Yeah. All that sort of stuff it catches and it really does make it like, yeah, like you were on Laravel 9 from day one. It's pretty sweet. And maybe we'll talk about that next time to kind of fin finish out this mini series because I think, I think we're kind of at the end for the testing layer. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so so maybe we'll talk a, a little bit about the testing layer for Laravel 9, but but maybe a little bit more about the new features in Laravel as they relate to the Laravel 9 shift to end out um, this little mini-series. Sounds good. Cool. Well, right. see you next time then. Don't be a Nanda. No, be a Zonda. Show notes for this episode can be found at basecodefieldguide.com slash 47.